Welcome to Practical Christian Living. For us, the mirror is like the law and Jesus is like the sink or the shower. We are cleaned up by Jesus. All the law can do is reveal to you that you have sinned, but it can't save you. You can't take the mirror off the wall and comb your hair. Doesn't work. The law can't do it. But people preach the law and they get all legalistic on you, thinking that somehow they're helping you out when all they're doing is pointing out your flaws. The law can't make us perfect because no one can follow it and keep it perfectly. The law serves, however, as a reminder that we have flaws. We are sinners who desperately need Jesus and the grace and forgiveness that He freely offers. Take heart, Christian. You are not perfect, but you are made righteous by His blood. With part two of our opening study through the book of 1 Timothy, here's Robert Furrow. The main criticism for D.L. Moody is he preached his message as thousands of people got saved was all he does is preach the gospel. He's just preaching that old-fashioned gospel. Well, so we do the same today. We have been called by God to preach the gospel. But here's the thing. Paul said in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. So if I begin to teach something else, if I consider the gospel to be old-fashioned, and I begin to teach something else, then I'm not teaching you the power of salvation. I might look hip. I might look like a, you know, really progressive pastor that understands new things, but I will not be bringing you guys what you need. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is like a filet mignon. And when somebody else brings something else, they say, I found something new. It's squirrel. You don't need that old filet mignon. You want that squirrel. Now, at the end of the last service, one of our, one of our security guards, one of our leaders of our security team, by the way, come up to me. For those of you who may know him, you can harass him. And he said, well, I'll tell you, I'd choose the squirrel, he told me. I said, that's because you're a hillbilly. <laughs> because I'll guarantee you this. The vast majority of us would not choose the squirrel. I realize that there are some of you that are going to be obnoxious. And when you were a kid, you hunted squirrel and it was delicious. My dad hunted squirrel as well. And I come from a hillbilly background as well. All right. I understand that. But there is a reason that there are no squirrel restaurants. <laughs> there are a lot of steak restaurants a lot of places you can find filet mignon and very few places you can find squirrel. There's a reason for that, all right? So why would we turn from what is the best, what is proven, what is true to the philosophies of men, to other doctrines? Now he goes on to say here in verse two, as he continues on in his mission, he says, not giving heed to fables, that is that these people had begun to believe myths. They'd begun to believe fables. Sometimes people have a very poor handling of the word of God. They head off into directions that the Bible never meant for it to go. They come up with ideas that you wonder where in the world did they get that from? Let me tell you where they got it from. Their imaginations, that's where they got it from. And it becomes fables, it becomes myths or endless genealogies. There were a group of people in their day that thought that there was real power in where their ancestries came from. 
there are those today who do such things as well. And it goes on to say in verse four, which causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. These philosophies and these myths just end up causing disputes rather than godly edification. We want godly edification when we're together. You ever get together with a bunch of Christians? Maybe you go to Denny's after church or IHOP or Claim Jumpo, wherever you end up going. You start to talk and at first it seems really good. You start to talk about controversial things and it seems really good because at this point you can show how much of the Bible you know. You begin to quote certain things and talk about certain things, but then it turns into a fight. Somebody disagrees with you and you leave with a knot in your guts. You ever have that happen? None of you are shaking your head yes. It's, me only, it's only argumentative me that has that happen. <laughs> because when God wants us to, when we get together, God wants us to edify one another, not, not to argue and, and fight. In fact, there's a passage later on in Timothy that says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach those that are in opposition. And so then he says in verse five, now the purpose, this is the goal of the command, the command, the mission. Stay in Ephesus and charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now the goal, the purpose. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. What is the reason that he wants us to remain true to the word of God? Because when we remain true to God's word, we love God. And when we love God, then we love each other. And love becomes the reason for the commandment. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. He told his disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Now, the Old Testament is filled with 600 and something commandments. If you want to live by the law, you got a lot of commandments you have to keep. I love when people pick and choose one of the commandments. This is the commandment. That you, if you keep this commandment, then you're going to go to heaven. And they ignore the rest of the 600 and something. Listen, you want to live by the law, then more power to you, but you got to take them all. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I like that one, but I don't like that one. I'm going to keep this one, but I'm not going to keep that one. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, later on in Romans and in Galatians, it tells us that all of the law is summed up in this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up in that. That if you love one another, then you're keeping the law. I don't need to know all 600 of those commands because if I walk in love, then I'm not going to break those commands towards you. In other words, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. So on and so forth, right? I fulfill the law by love. Now, Jesus also said this. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Some of you guys have come to the church for the first time today. You're listening closely to what I say because you come out of a Christian background. Maybe you come out of a Christian church. Maybe you lived in another city where you went to church. You want to know if we're authentic. You want to know, is Calvary Chapel of Tucson an authentic Christian church? So you're listening for certain things. You want to know whether or not we believe in the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the crucifixion of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. When you hear those things, you go, yes, 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 good. That's authentic. However, what if there's people here, and there's more and more people like this, that don't know what Christianity is about? There's many Christians in our community who wouldn't even be able to tell us what a real, authentic Christian is about. So when they come into this place, and maybe you're here today, maybe you've been invited to church and you're sitting here and going, you know, I didn't really think about it. This could be a cult. Maybe I'm sitting in a cult right now. How are you going to know whether or not we are authentic? This is what Jesus told us. 
they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So what makes our evangelism powerful is not necessarily our doctrine. I'm not saying our doctrine isn't important because it is. It's ultimately important. But I'm saying that what's going to cause us to be good in our evangelism is the love that we have for one another. Now, here's the problem. Whenever you choose to love someone, there's a risk. Because people whom you love can hurt you. Maybe you've come out of a church where you've been hurt. Maybe you're just not willing. Maybe you've been hurt in this church. Maybe there's someone who's hurt you here. And you're just not willing to redevelop those relationships again because you can get hurt. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people. Some of us are just busy. Some of us like being by ourselves. We're like the Lone Ranger. We put on our mask. We come to church. <laughs> now, we might not have a literal mask on, but we come in and we sit down and we leave. And because there's five services, nobody knows you. Nobody knows who you are. You don't even have a Tonto. At least Lone Ranger had Tonto. You don't even have a Tonto. You just come to church and you go. Well, you can learn about the Bible that way. You can learn about God that way. But you can never really experience what God wanted for us as Christians without the body of Christ. We must interact with each other. We must love one another. And along with that is going to come some pain. It always happens. We are because we enter into relationships. We have pain that comes from that. And well, we're going to offend one another. You're going to say something eventually that's going to offend me. I will never say anything that offends you. I've never offended anyone. 27 years of ministry. All right, so I only do it weekly. I do it several times every week. There are going to be things that are said. My wife generally has a list for me of things that I can't say anymore. She'll go to Saturday night and she'll go, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that. She's much more in tune with what is going to be offensive than what I am. I, and I tell her, I'm just having fun. She goes, I know. I know, but you can't say that. We're going to say things that offend. And so the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe it's not someone here at the church that you need to get to know. Maybe you work with a Christian from another church. Even though they go to another church, they're part of the family of God. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe those are the people that God wants you to develop a relationship with and get to know. Maybe you need to get more involved in a small group somewhere to be able to do that. But the purpose of this is love from a pure heart. That is that your sins are forgiven and things are right with God from a good conscience. Tell you what, our conscience can get up and sting us. Walking with God in purity is a good thing for a lot of reasons. Giving purity to Christ is a good thing. One of them is that your conscience doesn't condemn you from a good conscience. And I love this one from a sincere faith. We're to walk in love from a sincere faith. And I'll ask you this question. Are you sincere in your faith? Are you really serving God honestly? Do you pretend? See, the opposite of sincerity would be pretense. The opposite of sincerity would be hypocrisy. So the Bible tells us that we are to serve God without hypocrisy and with all sincerity. You're really serving God or are you pretending? Hey, there's some people that come to church, some people that come to Calvary. While you're here, you're like, praise God, brother, amen, all of the Lord. And then you go hang out with a group of friends and you're like, <laughs> beep, 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 dirty joke, dirty joke. And people in the world go, I thought you were a Christian. Well, you're not really serving God with all sincerity. I think that's why Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you are neither, I'll spew you out. He will not let you remain there. He will shake up your life in such a way that you have to make a decision. 
Or are you sincere? Just really sincerely want to follow him. Are you saying, Lord, I really do want to follow you. I want to live for you out of a pure heart and a good conscience and out of a sincere faith. He goes on to say in verse six, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk. There are those that have strayed from a sincere faith and a good conscience. There are those of it that have strayed from love, from godly edification, because they're involved in idle talk. They just want to talk about things that don't really matter. Desiring to be teachers of the law, verse seven says, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. Now, Paul specifically says there are these legalists that are running around. They want to be teachers of the law. If you want to be a teacher, you desire a good thing. The Bible says if you want to be a deacon, you want to be a, an elder, you desire a good thing. It's a good thing to be a pastor. It's a good thing to be a teacher. But the Bible also says, let not many of you desire to be teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. That doesn't mean you've got to live better than everybody else. It means you've got to live the things you say. It means that we all have to live those standards. And as a Christian, as a pastor, as a teacher, you better really get to that point. But here these guys were, they didn't understand what they were talking about. So they're just running around telling people what they couldn't do. They're running around as teachers telling people all about the law. You don't do this, you don't do that, and you bunch of sinners this. And you know what? Those are the easiest messages. If you've ever spent any time teaching or, or preaching, then you know that messages that condemn are the easiest ones to give because they pack a punch. I could stand up here and I could gomer pile you guys all day long. I used to watch Gomer Pyle as a kid. Remember that? Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> you bunch of stinking, rotten, stagnant Christians. How come you're not praying? How come you're not reading your Bible? How come you're not witnessing? How come you're not doing what God told you to do? You guys stink as Christians. You shouldn't even be Christians at all. I feel bad even saying those things. <laughs> now, what happens is, is that some of you who are tenderhearted, you listen to that and you just get beat up. You take everything for yourself. And so these come and you're like, oh, I don't pray enough. Oh, I don't read enough. Oh, I don't give witness enough. Oh, oh, and you leave like you're just kind of dragging yourself out the door spiritually. You're like a sheep that's come to church and you've just gotten beaten. You've gotten fleeced. You've gotten beaten by those who, who say these kind of things. The person that needed to hear it, the, the Christian that's involved in fornication or other things, they don't hear it at all. It's like what they're doing when they're looking at me now is they're just going... Wonder what's on TV later on this afternoon. <laughs> Wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. Is this guy done? How close is it to him being done? Those are the things that are going on in his mind. So the people, the Christians with a tender heart, they're getting zapped, zing, zing, zing. The other guy's like got a bulletproof vest on. Nothing's hitting him. Nothing's touching him. He stands up after the service and goes, good sermon. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So Paul talks about this legalism. He talks about being teachers of the law, but they don't understand the law. Look at verse eight, but knowing that the law is good if it is used lawfully. Paul says, listen, these guys want to be teachers of the law. They want to stand around and zing people all the time, but they don't understand the law. The law is good when the law is used lawfully, meaning that the law reveals that we have a need. The law is like a mirror, J. Vernon McGee said. He said that the law is like a mirror and you look in it to see your need. When I get up in the morning, it's like your mirror in your bathroom. When I get up in the morning, first thing I do is put a contact in my eye. The second thing that I do is I lean on my sink and I look at myself in the mirror. Why I do that, I really don't know. 
I do it every day, and every day I look the same. In fact, it's getting worse as the years go by. <laughs> we also have a mirror in our bathroom that's like one of those oversized mirrors that shows you like five times of what you look like. I look in that. Why do I look in that? I frighten myself when I look in it. Go! What in the world? That's horrible. What I need to do is keep my contact out, back, way up, and go, I look pretty good. <laughs> the law is like a mirror. You look in it and you go, I don't keep that, I don't keep that, I don't keep that, I don't keep that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I need help. Just like the mirror tells you in the morning, you need help. <laughs> now, Jay Vernon McGee said this, the law is like the mirror, may I say to you, my friends, and Jesus is like the wash basin. Now, how old was he? I realize he's deceased now, but how old was he that he used the word wash basin, by the way? Do you say that? I'm going to go in the bathroom and wash in the wash basin. <laughs> okay, so for us, the mirror is like the law and Jesus is like the sink or the shower. We are cleaned up by Jesus. All the law can do is reveal to you that you have sinned, but it can't save you. You can't take the mirror off the wall and comb your hair. <laughs> Doesn't work. The law can't do it. But people preach the law and they get all legalistic on you thinking that somehow they're helping you out when all they're doing is pointing out your flaws. And so he says then in verse nine, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. For those of you guys that are in Christ, the law is not made for you at all. Those of you that have been born again, you don't need to hear me stand up here and talk about all the awful things that people do. And the list that we're going to get now is not a list that you find yourself in. His point is this. As Christians, you don't find yourself there. You don't need somebody going over all these things. Listen to his list. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. That's verse 9. And then it says, but for. Here's who the law is made for. The lawless, the insubordinate, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy, the profane, the murderers of fathers and the murderers of mothers, the manslayers, the fornicators, the sodomites, the kidnappers, the liars, the perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to solid doctrine. He doesn't say that so you and I will go, all right, let's go over the list and see if we can find you in it. <laughs> Which one of these are you? His idea was, look, the church in Ephesus isn't full of these people. Now, we realize like today, there may be some of those people that were in the church in Ephesus because they weren't sincere because there was hypocrisy there. And I realize that there's some of you that are here today and you'd find yourself in this list somewhere, but not the majority of you. And that's the mistake that teachers make. When they walk up behind the pulpit and they look out and go, bunch of sinners, bunch of Christians that need to be straightened out by me. Nah, we just want to serve Jesus. The vast majority just want to love him. We want to be encouraged by God's word. I said earlier that it's easy to condemn people. It's easy to stand up and call people names and you're Surratt and you're not doing this, you're not doing that. You know what's harder? Encouraging people. It's harder to, to come alongside and, and show the right way we're to walk and encourage people in those ways. But I think that's what God does. I think that's the, the spirit that God gives us. Now, verse 11 is a little bit difficult. Because it starts off according to the glorious gospel, which is a continuation of a thought, right? It's not the beginning of a thought. So he gives us this list of all of these sins. Then he says, according to the glorious gospel. But that list of sins is not according to the glorious gospel, right? None of those sins fit into the according to the glorious gospel. 
So you realize that Paul has a parenthesis here. Paul started on a thought, got sidetracked, had another thought, and then returned to his main thought. If you know anything about Paul's writings, you know he does this incessantly. Following Paul's train of thought, when you're studying Paul's writings, you constantly have to go back to find where his thought was. We do that here. We need to go back all the way, I think, to verse 8. But we know that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully according to the glorious gospel. Now, he gave us this whole list of things that, that don't apply to us, but that the righteous person according to the glorious gospel. Then he goes on to say, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel comes from God and it was committed to Paul's trust. First thing that I want you to note is that he called it the glorious gospel. He didn't call it the old-fashioned, overused gospel. To Paul, it was the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is the teaching that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we are saved by the gospel, that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures and he was seen by the apostles. That's the gospel. And that you can be saved by that work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And if you don't believe me, look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4 gives us the definition of the gospel. I think it's important for us to have that definition because there are people that give different definitions. I heard someone say one time, well, the real gospel is helping people. That is helping the poor. We're supposed to help the poor, okay? Over and over again in the Bible, we're told that we're to help the poor, okay? And we do and we're supposed to and probably should do it more, all right? But that's not the gospel. That's not the definition of the gospel. That's just something that we do as Christians. The gospel is Jesus dying upon the cross for our sins and people being saved. And it is what the lost people need to hear now and should never be moved away from it. And I want you to notice that he says it was committed to my trust. Paul didn't come up with it. Paul didn't say, I got an idea. Let's make this gospel up. It was committed to his trust as it has been committed to ours. Turn with me, and this will be our closing thought. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go to verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding profane and idle babblings, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So just as Paul, in verse 11 of chapter 1, had the gospel committed to his trust, now Timothy has had the gospel committed to him. And throughout all of the generations, the gospel has been put into our hands. And that's what you and I are about. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ and making sure that whatever we believe is found within the pages of Scripture. Stand with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for the direction that we've received here. We don't want to teach other doctrines. We are not interested in myths and fables. We're not interested in the babblings of men or the philosophies of men, which could sound good, but hold no power that sound like they're better than the gospel, but all they are a squirrel. When we have been given the filet mignon, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which touches hearts and saves people. We thank you for what we have been entrusted in. We pray that we would have the faithfulness to carry the torch of what you have given us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.